It's the Old Man Yells at Music podcast. And here's your host, that moderate-talking middle-aged man himself, Roger Stroop. Hello and welcome to episode 25 of the Old Man Yells at Music podcast. I'm Roger Stroop. This week, I'm starting a new sub-series of the show, which I call Turn On, Tune In, Rock Out. It's about pop music on television, with a focus on one-off specials focused around popular music. This is an idea I've had kicking around for a while, but I couldn't decide what show I wanted to open with. I thought about going all the way back to 1957 for the Edsel Show, on which Bing Crosby, Frank Sinatra, and Louis Armstrong sang the praises of Ford's ill-fated new line of cars. I also considered 33 and a third Revolutions Per Monkey, a trippy show the Prefab 4 did after the cancellation of their sitcom and the failure of their movie Head. And I will do those and more in the future. But then I saw that it was coming up to my 25th episode and it hit me. I'll start it on episode 25 with Motown 25, yesterday, today, and forever. Motown 25, Yesterday, Today, and Forever, was held on March 25th, 1983 at the Civic Auditorium in Pasadena, California, and was broadcast on NBC in the U.S. two months later on May 16th. It was a celebration of 25 years of Motown records, although the label's 25th anniversary wasn't really until the following January, as it was founded in the early days of 1959. This show featured many of the stars of the label's heyday, the majority of whom were now recording for other labels, as well as other singers and celebrities, and many classic clips from television appearances by the label's legends. I watched it on YouTube, and I posted it at the top of this this week's playlist. It's in two parts, but it is the whole show, apparently from a commercial VHS tape. There's another version on YouTube that says original broadcast, but it's actually a rerun that had some segments trimmed to fit a shorter time slot. So if you want to see the whole thing, watch the two-part version. But if you want to see a bunch of 1983 commercials and promos for NBC TV movies and updates on the invasion of Grenada, skip to the last 20 minutes or so of the quote-unquote original broadcast. So now let's have a look at Motown 25, yesterday, today, and forever. The show starts with a montage of the label's history and top performers, accompanied by a suitably dignified voiceover. Then we cut to the stage where a group of dancers, who are later identified as the Lester Wilson dancers, come out to show off their moves to the Martha and the Vandellas hit, Dancing in the Street. We were in the dying days of the trope of all variety specials opening with a dance number. It's okay, and the song's always worth a listen, but for me, this is just filling time. Now we have the voiceover guy again, announcing all the stars we're going to see tonight, complete with clips. I won't list them now, but watching it, I can tell you there were a couple of what-are-they-doing-heres, and at least one Oh, that guy. I haven't thought of him in years. Then it's back to the stage, where on comes a tuxedoed, mustachioed Smokey Robinson. He welcomes us, then introduces our host for the evening, Richard Pryor. 
The comedian keeps his material TV friendly, with his most memorable line being about how he can say that this is a star-studded show because, quote, I've seen stars and I've seen studs. Then he promises that we will see things tonight that will blow our minds. We shall see. He then walks over to the other side of the stage, where there sits what we are told is the record-cutting machine that was used at the label's Detroit headquarters, known as Hitsville USA, during the 60s. He talks about all the hits that were cut on that machine and how many were written and or performed by one particular man. We then go to a black and white clip of Smokey and the Miracles doing You Better Shop Around, which segues into the group performing it live on stage at the beginning of a medley with You Really Got a Hold on Me, Tears of a Clown, and Going to a Go-Go. There are three miracles here one being Smokey's wife, Claudette, who met her husband when she joined the group in 1958 to replace her brother when he was drafted into the army. They sounded great. It's a promising start to the performances. Next is a clip from a 1968 Ed Sullivan show where Ed is introducing the Supremes who are about to do Love Child. There's a delay, then someone comes up and tells Ed something, after which he says that Diana Ross needs to make a change and she'll be fired for this. Of course, she wouldn't be fired, but she would go out on her own about a year after this. We'll hear more from her later. Then out comes Dick Clark, who at this time was the face of rock and roll history. He talks about how Motown changed the perception of black music in a pop world where, as he says, the only thing black was the vinyl the records were made from. He talks about the early days of R&B, when songs would only get mainstream airplay when covered by white artists like Pat Pat Boone. As an aside, he said, Dick says that Pat Boone would later sign with Motown. And for me, that was an immediate WTF moment. But I looked it up and it's true. I'll explain it. I'll explain later on, though. Anyway, there's a clip of Martha and the Vandellas on American Bandstand, and then Dick talks about how because some retailers wouldn't stock records with black faces on the cover, Motown would put other images on their sleeves, including a photo of a blonde couple lounging on a beach, which they put on the front of an Isley Brothers record. Then he says something about how Motown was propelled by the liberalism of the Kennedy years. And then we see and hear white artists like Frank Sinatra, Barbara Streisand, and the Carpenters covering Motown hits. And this segment segment ends with back-to-back covers of Stevie Wonder's For Once in My Life. First by Tony Bennett, and then by Jim Neighbors. Golly! Yep, Gomer Pyle sings Stevie Wonder. That happened. Dick Uh, Dick ends this segment by saying that Motown has the potential to go on forever. Next, there's a montage of award shows in which various celebrity presenters are announcing wins by Stevie Wonder. Sadly, they don't show the Grammy clip where Paul Simon thanked Stevie Wonder for not releasing an album that year. Then we cut to Stevie live on stage performing I Wish. He thanks the audience and the people of all races and backgrounds who helped fulfill Motown's dream of bringing black culture to the world. 
then he goes into my Sharia more, and then you are the sunshine of my life. Myself, I would have rather he'd swapped out one of those for something like superstition or higher ground or even uptight everything's all right. But I can't complain too much. Stevie is simply one of the greatest musical artists of our time. And watching him perform any t anything, anytime is a pleasure. Yes, I'm even including I just called to say I love you. But thankfully, that was still a year away. We'll continue our look at the Motown 25 special right after this. Hi, this is your host, Roger Stroop, letting you know that if you like my point of view on old pop music, you can actually find lots more of it on the Old Man Yells at Music blog. I've been looking back at top 40 charts from the 70s, 80s, and 90s and beyond for almost 10 years now, and I've done hundreds of entries and covered thousands of songs from the American, Canadian, and British charts, from the A's to ZZ Top, from Abacab to Zoom. You'll also find my Uneasy Rider tournaments, celebrating the odd ducks of the American Top 40. The 70s tourney is complete, but the 80s one is just getting started, and you can follow along on the blog as it progresses. And of course, you can find links to the latest episode of this podcast and the accompanying YouTube playlists there. So take a look at the Old Man Yells at Music blog, which you can find at bobbyglovescasey.blogspot.com. Why is it there? You'll have to go there to find out. That's the Old Man Yells at Music blog at bobbyglovescasey.blogspot.com. After a clip of Barry Gordy revealing himself beside two imposters on the game show To Tell the Truth, we go to footage of a group of old Motown staff songwriters gathered around a piano singing Reach Out, I'll Be There. They talk about how the competition among themselves inspired them, how gratifying it was to watch people singing their lyrics and how it made them feel like the voice of the people, and how they all ended up working for Barry Gordy, who taught them what was really important. And they answer that question by singing one of Gordy's own compositions, Money, That's What I Want. Then they all come out for a curtain call. It's here where I will note that while the songwriters got a spotlight segment, the label's renowned group of session musicians, the Funk Brothers, did not receive similar attention. Bassist James Jamerson, in fact, had to buy a ticket to the event from a scalper. There was much talk during the show about the label being like a family, but a story like that undercuts that narrative somewhat. Then Smokey comes out again to talk about the label's groups and how they were all put through a finishing school to learn how to present themselves. After some clips, the Temptations and the Four Tops come out for the kind of back-and-forth battle of the bands they used to have on, Mot on Motown's old roadshow tours. They do three songs each, then join together for a couple. If this was an actual battle... Honestly, I'd give the win to the tops. That may have something to do with them having their, all of their original members, including powerhouse frontman Levi Stubbs. If a lot of Motown could be called R&B smoothed out and polished for a broader audience, Levi, Levi always made sure to bring an authentic bluesy pain to everything he sang. After a TV clip from 1971 of Michael Jackson leaning on a lamppost in a suit and a fedora singing a kid-adapted version of Frank Sinatra's It Was a Very Good Year, complete with a ring-a-ding-ding, -ding, we cut to Marvin Gaye at the piano. He gives us a, a history of black music in America, 
talking about work songs, gospel, jazz, rent parties, Bessie Smith, Louis Armstrong, and more, tying the music to the overall experience of being Black in America. Then he stands up to give an electrifying performance of What's Going On and receives the night's second standing ovation after Stevie Wonder. You think about the role this man was on in 1983 between sexual healing, his NBA All-Star National Anthem, and this. And you wonder what could have been if his father hadn't shot him. It's clear from this that he had a lot more to say. Then Richard Pryor returns to introduce a tribute to the disc jockeys responsible for playing all of Motown's hits. Presented by Howard Hessman and Tim Reed in their WKRP roles as Dr. Johnny Fever and Venus Flytrap. The two, in makeshift DJ booths on opposite end ends of the stage, alternate introductions of Martha Reeves singing Heat Wave, Mary Wells doing My Guy, Junior Walker performing Shotgun, and a Lionel Richie-less Commodores doing Brick House. Then the two are together to introduce John Mashita. Who, you might very well ask? Well, John Mashita was at the time known as the world's fastest talker, able to articulate nearly 600 words a minute. He had gained fame after doing a, a commercial for courier company Federal Express, now of course known as FedEx, and he had since become a frequent guest on talk shows and TV specials. Mashita proceeds to recite a list of all the artists who have recorded for, Mot for Motown. I didn't quite get them all, but a couple stuck out. First, Linda Carter. Yes, Wonder Woman herself. She actively pursued a singing career during and after the show's run, starring in multiple musical TV specials and, re and releasing one single on Motown in 1980. Then, Soupy Sales. The 50s and 60s kid show host signed with the label in 1968, releasing the album A Bag of Soup and a single that parodied Richard Harris's hit MacArthur Park. And the last act he mentioned was the Bongo Men, who I can find no information about whatsoever. Or after listening again, I think he might have said, Dan the Bongo Man. In that case, I still couldn't find anything. Richard Pryor returns to talk about how Motown has over the years taken chances by stepping out of its sole comfort zone. He talks about when they launched a country label in the 70s and how one of its first releases hit number one on that chart before introducing Tennessee singer T.G. Shepard to sing that hit, Devil in the Bottle. For the record, that country label was called Hitsville, and that was the sub subsidiary that ended up signing Pat Boone. After the song, Shepard talks about the first hit song Barry Gordy ever wrote, and he introduces a, re a recent Motown signing with a new version of that song that he says is going to be, is sure to be a hit. It wasn't, by the way. That artist is Jose Feliciano, and the song is Jackie Wilson's 1958 hit, Lonely Teardrops. Feliciano is the, the blind acoustic guitarist from Puerto Rico, best known these days for his 1970 Christmas standard, Feliz Navidad. He does the song well, but it's hard to compete with an original done by a man known as Mr. Excitement. Then Feliciano introduces someone he calls one of England's biggest stars, 
Adam Ant, performing the Supremes' Where Did Our Love Go? I have no way of knowing this, but I'm guessing he wasn't the first choice for this spot. The song selection makes me think they initially wanted Soft Cell, who had covered Where Did Our Love Go on the back half of the extended version of their recent hit, Tainted Love. And if they were looking for another British artist who had recently done a, a hit Motown cover, they could have approached Phil Collins, who had recently charted with another Supreme song, You Can't Hurry Love. But instead, we get Mr. Ant, who had just broken through in America after going solo with the song Goody Two-Shoes. He comes out in his usual dandy costume and pursues a random woman while doing a silly dance. It's not a great performance overall. In fact, I'd say it's the antithesis of something we would be seeing very shortly. Richard Pryor is back, announcing that the event is a fundraiser for the fight against sickle cell anemia. He then cuts to a clip of Lionel Richie at a piano next to a little girl who has identified as this year's sickle cell poster child. He banters with her for a bit, then sings his hit truly to her. It's a nice little moment. Now we cut to a black and white clip of what we're told was the Jackson 5's 1968 audition. Michael is out front singing James Brown's I Got the Feeling. Then we have clips of the group performing with Ed Sullivan and even a snippet of their cartoon show before the original Jackson 5 come out together for the first time since 1975. They do a medley of I Want You Back, The Love You Save, and I'll Be There. Michael is in his full thriller era uniform with a sparkly black jacket and the single sequin glove. Sixth brother Randy, who replaced Jermaine when the other brothers changed labels, but Jermaine stayed with Motown because he was married to Barry Gordy's, Gordy's daughter, even came out for a bit. Then everyone but Michael leaves the stage. He talks about how he treasures the magic moments he created with his brothers, but he especially likes the stuff he's doing now. Then the recording of Billie Jean starts, and Michael begins to, Michael begins to dance. This is the only lip-synced performance of the night, but it doesn't matter at all. You're just watching him move. His feet are in constant motion. All the moves that would become his signatures are here. The hat flip, the kicks, the spins, the poses. And then, during the instrumental bridge, comes the moment this entire show is remembered for. The debut of the moonwalk. The crowd immediately erupts in awe not sure what they've just seen, but knowing that it's something special. He finishes the song and receives the night's third standing O. But even that seems like an insufficient reaction to a landmark moment in music, television, and American culture. It's the kind of, did you see that moment that we only seem to get from sports nowadays, and even then, very rarely. It's the moment Michael went from popular singer to larger-than-life icon. We'll be back to talk about the rest of the special right after this. Hello, Roger Stroop again. We all know that COVID-19 is hitting small businesses particularly hard, and I have first-hand knowledge of this, as my wife is a home-based music teacher. Right now, she isn't doing lessons at home, but she has been able to teach some of her students over the internet, which got me thinking. 
You don't have to live in the St. Catharines, Niagara area to learn piano, voice, and or musical theory from Linda's lessons. I've told you before about her years of experience and many satisfied customers. I've also told you you can look up Linda's lessons on Facebook and see videos of her singing. You'll know for sure she knows what she's doing. So if you want to learn music and you think you'd be more comfortable learning over the internet, take a look at the Linda's Lessons page on Facebook. At the very least, you'll hear an amazing singer, my wife, Linda Quick. Thank you very much. So how did they choose to follow Michael's game-changing moment? With a painting. Specifically, Sugar Shack by artist Ernie Barnes which you might recognize from the opening credits of the 70s sitcom, Good Times. Over it, Smokey says that it evokes the kind of African-American joy that Motown captured in its music. The scene is then recreated by the Lester Wilson dancers to the tune of Marvin Gaye's I Want You. It's well done, but again, variety show dance numbers never really appealed to me. So let's move on. Next is a clip of Diana Ross as Billie Holiday in the movie Lady Sings the Blues. Billy D. Williams appears in the scene. Then we cut to him on stage to talk about Motown's ventures into movies. He talks about acting in some of them, and then we see clips from a, from a few of the movies, including another Diana Ross movie, Mahogany, and the Negro League baseball com comedy, The Bingo Long Traveling All-Stars and Motor Games. It's not a major segment, but it was short, and Billy D is an icon of cool. Then Richard Pryor introduces a segment where various familiar yet unidentified faces try to define the Motown sound. There are multiple descriptions, some more colorful, more colorful than others. Ultimately, Pryor says that no one can no one can describe the Motown sound. Now, this might have been an opportunity for James Jamerson and the Funk Brothers to come out and show you what the Motown sound is, but that didn't happen. Now, Pryor introduces two of Motown's younger current acts, DeBarge and High Energy. The five DeBarge siblings were from Detroit, and led by baby-faced heartthrob L, they put on a spirited performance. High Energy were a female trio from California who had one top 40 hit in 1977 with You Can't Turn Me Off in the Middle of Turning Me On. Their song is okay, but they would break up the next year. DeBarge would have their greatest success in 1985, scoring two top 10 hits. Then L went solo and personal and legal issues led to the rest of the band breaking up. These performances were followed up by film clips of arguably the, la the label's most exciting act of the time, Rick James. I'll surely have the opportunity to, opportunity to tell his story sometime in the future. Then Smokey's back, singing Ooh Baby Baby. He is soon joined for this and Tracks of My Tears by Linda Ronstadt, who had hit covers of both of these songs in the late 70s. They sound great together. Maybe she should have done those late 80s duets with him instead of Aaron Neville. No disrespect at all to Aaron Neville. Then Linda asks Smokey if he's ever written a song that wasn't a hit, to which Smokey replies, yes. In fact, I wrote a song that sold exactly zero copies. The Motown Company song. We cut to a clip of various staff, staff members singing it. 
The lyrics are about unity and how Motown is a very swinging company. It's a rousing march. I have trouble imagining Marvin or Diana singing this, but I'm sure they did. Now Smokey's alone on stage to sing his two big early 80s hits, Cruisin' and Being With You. It's pretty clear by now that Smokey was meant to be the star of this show. And given his importance as one of the company's first big stars and one of their key songwriters, along with the fact that at this point he and Stevie Wonder were the, were the only guys who had, who had never left Motown, I can understand why. And I have to say he was very good in all of his roles tonight. But after Michael, no one was going to remember anything else. Now Richard Pryor returns to tell the Motown story as a fairy tale, casting the various players as knights and warriors and lords and ladies. He talks about Gordy first finding success by writing songs for Sir Jackie of Wilson, then goes through a, a lot of the company's acts, ending with the Supremes, who he calls the goose that laid the golden records. Then we cut to, the, to clips of the Supremes, set to Back in My Arms Again, Stop in the Name of Love, and Someday We'll Be Together. Then there are clips of Diana Ross solo, set to Ain't No Mountain High Enough, and then she comes out herself singing it. After she's done, she says something about how Barry has never really felt appreciated and that tonight isn't about those who left, of which she was one at the time, but those who came back. And everybody came back. Well, that's not quite true, but that's what she said. Then she starts, Someday We'll Be Together, and she invites Supremes Mary Wilson and Cindy Birdsong to join her. At one point, Mary takes over the lead vocal, and the stage starts filling up. Then Diana asks someone off stage, how long, it, how, how long will it take to get him down here? And moments later, she says, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Barry Gordy. The founder gets on stage and gives big hugs to Diana and Michael. They finish the song and then the credits roll. Overall, this is a very good show. Yes, it would have been nice if the Funk Brothers had been represented and recognized, and Adam Ant stuck out like a sore thumb. But otherwise, it covered all the bases you'd expect. And there were some su surprise treats in the old clips and the company song. The stars, for the most part, delivered. And of course, Michael stole the show. So what was Motown's future like? Well, they had completely left Detroit for Los Angeles in 1973, and you can argue that this was the beginning of the decline. By 1983, they weren't breaking many new stars, and the older ones like Stevie and Smokey were slowing down. And they were missing the boat on the early days of hip-hop. In 1988, Barry, Gold Barry Gordy sold the label, and now they were just another logo in a lot of ways. They had some success in the 90s with stars like Belle Biv DeVoe, Boys to Men, Brian McKnight, and Erica Badu. But the changing landscape of the music business has seen Motown folded and merged with other imprints. And these days, record labels are mattering less and less every day. 
But Motown lives on as a sound, a catalog, and an era like no other. I hope you like this. You, I hope you enjoyed this beginning of a new avenue of musical miscellany for me to discover and share. I've been scouring YouTube, and I've found plenty of material for future episodes. Besides the two I mentioned at the top of the show, I found some gold involving the Carpenters, Ringo Starr, David Bowie, a disco dancing championship, parental panic over punk rock, and much, much more. And the search has only just begun. Now it's time for Old Man Yells at You, where I give recommendations based on what I talked about on this show. Obviously, I'm going to start by suggesting you watch the Motown 25 show. Then I recommend the documentary Standing in the Shadows of Motown, which gives the Funk Brothers their due. And if you're looking to explore more Motown, particularly the golden years, a good place to start would be the box set Hitsville, USA, the Motown Singles Collection, 1959 to 1971. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Old Man Yells at Music podcast. As always, if you like what you've heard, share, subscribe, and leave a review where you found it. You can also leave feedback on the Facebook and Twitter feeds, both of which are at Mr. B. Glovehead, or on the blog post for this episode, which is at bobbyglovescasey.blogspot.com, or you can check out the brand new Instagram account, at Old Man Yells at Music. As always, there's a companion YouTube playlist for this episode, which I link to in the show notes. Next time on the show, we go back to July of 1970. Even I wasn't born that born yet then. Until then, I'm Roger Scroop, and just like Pagliacci did, I try to keep my surface hid. Stay safe.